Blog Talk Radio. I tested negative for antibodies, which is weird because I'm positively anti my body. I'm Brett Singer. This is my show. Hey, 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 I haven't sung in a long time, so there we go. It is Wednesday, June 17th, the year is 2020. We say that for the potential time capsule, right? Somebody, I guess, said that a couple of days ago. Uh, We're here. It is Brett from the Bunker. It is 11 a.m., and I am joined today by Andrew Tarvin. How you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, a fantastic way to start a, a, a show is with the wonderful antibodies pun. I'm, I'm on board. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I was. <laughs> that's one of those where... You know, you're like you never write a joke, and you're like, you know, I enjoy this. I sincerely hope other people do too, because I really like it. <laughs> you know, yeah, you gotta, I do that sometimes. You're, you're 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 tweeting something out, and you just smile to yourself. You're like, this one, this one is at least at least it makes me happy. Exactly. At least I've amused myself, and if nothing else, you know, maybe I've then I've done I've done something good for me. It's like self care, you know. Like I did something nice yeah. for me, and so that was <laughs> that was good. Um, so I ask everybody this. I will ask you, how are you holding up? Uh, I am. I'm holding up uh, well. Uh, you know, because I am. <clears throat> I'm an introvert, and uh, if I'm not, you know, on the road speaking or or performing, then I was at working at home anyway. Uh, and am happily by myself or with my fiance. So I'm like, I'm, I'm in that pandemic sweet spot where it's, uh, you know, I feel much better cause we, we got engaged in, in February. And oh. so it was like, uh, you know, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And then it was immediately 24 seven, which we weren't expecting, but, uh, we still like each other. So that's a, a good sign. It's been a good test of the, uh, the engagement, I think as well. Yes. No, absolutely. I think I could see that. Now, were you living together already or uh, not yet? We were. Yeah. The, the okay. engineer in me, I was like, uh, yeah, we got to, we got to test out the living thing, to, living together thing before we can test out even the engagement thing. Cause you know, it, you, people are different people when they're actually behind their, their home closed door. Oh, hundred percent. Absolutely. No, I, I don't re- like, I get that that's what people used to do, but no, I absolutely, my wife and I lived together for quite some time before we got married. I mean, it's it's not so much like, let's try this out. It's more, you know, like, well, let's live together. We're not quite ready to get married yet. You know, like, it's just just because you, I mean, it, we're, we're done with the puritanical notion that you have to be married in order to be, you know, sharing a bed. So, you know, once that's not happening yeah. anymore, let's live together. Let's see how this goes. So now, uh, yeah. what is and, it? And, and also, especially in, in New York, I think it's kind of a, like, let's also save on some rent. I think yeah, it's probably less 100%. common in other places in the U.S. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree with that. I mean, yeah, one one, the rent on one one bedroom apartment was was significantly less than what we were paying separately. So mm-hmm. um, that was so that was really good. So tell me, what is a humor engineer? <laughs> uh, so it is, you know, I'm the world's first humor engineer, which means that it's just a term that I made up. Um, but it, it came from, cause people were asking kind of what I was doing and, and my background is in computer science and engineering. And I realized that as a computer science engineer, I was solving like workplace challenges or problems using computers and programming and technology. And so when I tried to kind of capture what I was doing now, I realized, oh, I'm helping organizations and people solve workplace challenges, but using humor. 
you know, for things like emotional intelligence or employee engagement or stress management or, you know, personal productivity, that kind of stuff. And so to me, it was just kind of a, a, a nice fit of that intersection where it is about bringing humor to everyday life, but specifically as a strategic tool to solve a problem as opposed to just for being a comedian or for, uh, you know, trying to make people laugh. Right. Okay. That sounds, that sounds like a good, I like that. That's a very succinct description. Um, now you, you do a lot of corporate speaking, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So how can a comedian, let's say, oh, I don't know, a bald Jew who happens to be a stay-at-home dad and hosts a podcast called Brett from the Bunker. Um, how can a comedian like that uh, get work as a corporate speaker? Well, I mean, I think it, it's helpful to understand that there's there's a difference between, say, a corporate entertainer and a corporate speaker. Okay. And so, corp- yeah, corporate entertainment is kind of what you traditionally think of. This is, you know, pre-COVID, it was the after-dinner speaker. It was the, hey, we just want to laugh. Um, and in that case, you you absolutely need to be kind of corporate clean. Because the interesting thing about, you know, humor in a corporate context is that you have multiple audiences multiple audiences that you have to serve in that one moment because unlike a comedy club where it's just like do I make people laugh also in a corporate event you have to say okay one do I make the senior most person in the room laugh or at least stay appropriate two do I make the most stringent or the most kind of like um, uptight is maybe the wrong word but like the the most kind of the person who is like the easiest to offend do I make sure that I don't offend that person sometimes in HR or legal or that kind of stuff? Because one bad, one employee saying, I thought this was inappropriate can be very bad. And then also do you make the general audience uh, group laugh? So it can be a particularly challenging thing to do in corporate entertainment, but that's still the goal is to make people laugh. Whereas corporate speaking, you know, you absolutely have to be able to, to make people laugh as part of an engagement technique, but you're also leaving them with some type of message. You're leaving them with something so that, People weren't just like, oh, yeah, I also laugh, but oh, I'm going to try something a little bit differently now. Or, oh, I have a, a strategy for being more productive. Or I have this great way that I can build better rapport with our clients or something. So they need kind of a takeaway that wasn't just laughing for a period of time. Right. Okay. Now, do you do both? I do. Uh, I do a little bit of both. We've been doing a little bit more corporate entertainment, helping to produce some virtual stand-up shows for some companies, just on the kind of like a happy hour stress relief type thing. But most of my work, the engineer in me, and this is what I love about speaking, is that it's stand-up with a message. And so the engineer likes leaving kind of that takeaway or likes, you know, having that action. So I guess really to go back and answer your question about uh, how do you do it, it is for a stand-up comedian to do it, one, becoming corporate clean, and then two, understanding what's some of the messaging. What's the, is it about empowerment? Is it about, uh, you know, seeing things about perspective? Is it about creativity? Finding and adding a couple of, you know, takeaways to your, your set turns you more into a corporate speaker. Interesting. Interesting. So now you said you've been doing this virtually since we since we're not doing this live. Mm-hmm. Yep, so, yeah. Uh, so we, you know, I was I was supposed to be uh, currently on a three week European tour pre COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, going to a couple of different places. I think I'd be in Estonia right now, which I had never been to, which would be very exciting. But then, of course, the events kind of all stopped, and so we pretty quickly switched to virtual. One, just because I needed something to do. Like, I was like, okay, if, I, if I'm just sitting around, I'm going to like go crazy. So let's, you know, try to transition. And then also people recognize that people still need continuing education. They still need training and development. They still need 
to laugh. They still need strategies for managing all the craziness that's going around. And so humor can be one of those things that can help them do that. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So are things ever going to go back to the way they were? I mean, that's obviously a very loaded, difficult question, but um, I, there, you read a lot of articles like, oh, you know, we, we never realized how much easier it would be to do everything virtually. And now that we have, we're not even going to bother going back to having big meetings. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that they go back to the things they, the way they were. Because if you think about, like, history, very rarely does stuff go back, even with small changes, does it go back to the way, quote-unquote, things were. I do think that we'll eventually get back back to in-person events. I mean, talking with some uh, comedy club owners and, and stuff, people are starting to look to open. But even that's interesting because it's like, okay, well, how do you do it from, you know, six feet of distance? Or you look at Dave Chappelle's 846 and they did it outside. People then still, you know, multi, like six feet apart and stuff. And it, it's just going to be a different performance experience. But I think what you're seeing with this and the, you know, the quote unquote silver lining, at least from a pe- speaker's perspective, is that I enjoy virtual. There's things that are different, but, you know, I did, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had in the morning an event for a group in California, and then that night an event for a group in Hong Kong. And there's no way I could physically do that if they were both in person. But now virtually I can, I can be in both of those places and then still, you know, be at home with my fiance that same day for dinner. And so right. there are, I think, some, some advantages that we can start to look at. And I think at least as part of our business, we'll continue to have virtual even when in-person events come in, in addition to the in-person things. Hmm, interesting. Um, now you you kill it with the with the technology. I, I saw some little examples of that when you were um, when you were on uh, Jim's panel, the New York Underground Comedy mm-hmm. Festival. So tell me a little bit about that. Like how difficult is that to learn, and what do you use? Well, yeah, it definitely takes some time, and um, uh, this is it, it's interesting because it's you know I, I guess I let's see I graduated in, uh, with my degree in computer science and engineering in 2006 so and then spent six years at Procter and Gamble as an IT project manager so really in 2012 so it took eight years for that the computer science degree to come back really in handy uh, while also intersecting there so I do have you know a fortunate background in tech to understand it but it it can be you know it's it's like learning anything new you know you have to. What, what's changed for a speaker, even as a comedian, is not only does your content have to be good, not only does your performance have to be good, but production almost becomes part of your skill set, right? The ability to seamlessly unmute your mic and not be talking for forever on it, to have a good background so that you're not backlit by a bunch of windows and that you're framed properly, to have maybe a, an additional camera besides what's built in so your quality is a little bit better, to you know, from a, a presenter standpoint to have picture and picture slides and to be able to seamlessly, you know, show your screen or, and show those slides, et cetera. And so it definitely takes some time to learn. We, you know, the, the easiest tool I think is, is using Zoom. So we use Zoom for a lot of our things, Zoom meetings and Zoom webinars, depending on the, uh, the differences, which more than happy to, to chat about. But also part of being a, you know, speaker is you want to be almost software agnostic because if a company, you know, we did an event for Microsoft and Microsoft was like, we use Microsoft Teams, we're not going to use Zoom. And it's like, okay, I need to be able to adapt to it. So it, it's partly just understanding how does quote unquote virtual technology work in general. And then also, how do you take advantage of it? Like, how do you, how do you make it a plus as opposed to a negative? One thing that um, uh, comedian Ray Ellen runs a, a great show 
Um, he, uh, he does a bunch of stuff at the comedy cellar, but he's running these shows himself, uh, some of these other shows himself. And he does great crowd work using zoom where he has everyone in a zoom meeting and then he'll spotlight someone's video. So it shows up big for everyone who's watching and then do crowd work basically about their background or have them unmute and chat with them and all that. And like, that's a fun way to like, that's a more intimate way to do some, some, some crowd work. So there's some things that you can do to really take advantage of the fact that we are all sitting in front of our computers. Right. No, that's interesting. I mean, I feel like you could get bogged down by, by overusing it, but, but when somebody uses it properly, then obviously it's really exciting and it's a lot of fun. Um, I've seen, I've seen a lot of people be able to, you know, this um, woman, Sophia Javed, who uh, does, she, she has bits of her act and then she actually references them. She uses snap camera. And just has so much fun with it. Just comes up with it becomes part of the joke. It's just an enhanced, you know, it's an enhancement. I mean, it's a little bit prop comedy, but I think when you're online, I think that's okay, right? Well, I mean, I think you you want to take advantage of the the space. Even I'm, I'm realizing like some of the shows that we do is simple. Of you know, when I'm talking about the different people types of people joining a Zoom is is part of comedy. Right. I'll do the, the turtle where you kind of change the frame. And so it's just the top half of your head. And then I'll be like, oh, or some people do the Batman where it's just the bottom half of their mouth because they're too far above the camera or the people who are on mute or whatever. And, and in a sense, like you said, it's kind of a little bit proper. It's, it's more leveraging, you know, as a, as a Senate comedian, what I love about it in its pure sense in a live form is it's just you, the microphone and a stool usually. And you see even comedians that do great use of like using the um, using the mic stand to represent something or the, the cord right. of the microphone is like that. So that you kind of use it before. So now it's just people leveraging what's, you know, sitting directly in front of them as a way to create comedy and thinking a little bit past, oh, it just is me talking into a microphone. Right. No, it's just it's, uh, using what's available to you, it sounds like, is really is is really so it sounds like it's not particularly hard to learn like that, that that this is i mean obviously you have a software background and a computer background so it's a little bit maybe easier for you but it, it does not sound like it's that heavy a lift in general no i mean especially the comedy side certainly if you want to do you know kind of quote the one of the most advanced speaker side of things is kind of picture in picture slides and so there's a couple ways to do it that are more complex you can get a and what i use is a hardware switcher so it requires you know two hdmi cameras a second computer going into hdmi for slides and a you know 600 piece of hardware 600 piece of hardware where i can switch in between because it just makes it a little bit easier and then that or you could use prezi video which is a great kind of service that you can do to kind of have that picture in picture view and if, if people are kind of curious what that means basically if you think of like the daily show or last week tonight where it's mostly the the speaker big and then in that corner they have like an image or a slide like that's a picture in picture view for a speaker you can do that and that's a little bit more complicated but in terms of performing on a show it's a lot easier the biggest things are really biggest is probably audio right as you would know from like shit like podcasts and radio like audio has to be good so having an Mm. external microphone not using what's built in is kind of key. And then from a video perspective, raising the camera up so it's not just sitting on your table and staring up at your nostrils, making sure that you have good lighting on your face and that you're not backlit by some, you know, sunny window. So you're like a weird silhouette where it's kind of like trying to hide your identity. Um, You know, that's what it feels like. And, and those I think are some of the, the bigger changes, like just some simple things that people can do to make the experience more, Interesting, because I think with virtual, at least in the current environment, 
people are open to the authenticity of it. They know that everyone is working from home. They know that uh, this isn't always going to be the most ideal situation. And so they're more forgiving if you do have, you know, a kind of blank background or if you do have someone that happens to walk by in the background. So I think being, being willing to accept that authenticity of the moment, that is not going to be that perfectly curated stage that you would have at a club. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to deal with that, Mike. I need to either get a different computer or figure something out because my computer won't do virtual backgrounds because it's an old MacBook Air. Mm-hmm. And but then what's behind me is ridiculous. It's like I'm in a storage closet. <laughs> Basically, I'm in my office and it's just messy and there's a lot of stuff behind me. We, you know, we moved recently and there's a lot to unpack uh, and I haven't done any of it. So mm-hmm. as, you're, as you're talking, I'm like, I'm like, what could I do? I guess I could sit this way and face the door and then that would be a little better and maybe that would help with the backlighting because um, it's tricky. You don't always have the access to everything, mm-hmm. you know, and I realize we've sort of been in this for a while, but it's been kind of a gradual process. Like I started with the microphone from the computer uh, and then upgraded to an, ex- to an external mic, and that's been made a huge difference. But even that, I recently discovered that you got to be right in, you got to be talking right into it. Like if you, if you deviate mm-hmm. at all, you can't hear. And I didn't, real, I didn't realize that at first. So, you know, like it's, it's sort of yeah, been a gradual learning process. And it's, and it's a constant testing thing. I mean, that's the biggest thing that we did was, you know, when, when things started to happen, you know, uh, April is, is National Humor Month, at least, um, according to someone. So we're like, okay, we're going to take that and run with it. And so we did 30 live virtual events in 30 days. Wow. And the whole point of that was, one, to provide humor content out there for people just for free to give them something to kind of think about to, help them relieve some stress, et cetera. But a big part of it was so that we would learn so that we could say, okay, what's this system like? And what's this set up? And, you know, do we want to go with the Samsung Q2U microphone or is a blue Yeti a little bit better or AT 2500 or whatever and talking with some people and, oh, is it better if we raise our camera? Should I be standing up when I perform? Should I be sitting down? What's the right background? We changed our, you know, uh, uh, apartment in, in New York. We were living in a, you know, one bedroom uh, still living in a one bedroom, but we like tried, okay, well, what if we move the bed into the living room and then the, the bedroom becomes like the studio space for me to do some recording. It's like, ah, well, that didn't quite work. So actually we got rid of our bed frame and it turned it into quote unquote, like a Murphy mattress where we would just be able to like put the mattress up so that we had both the living room and the, the bedroom. So like, nice. yeah, testing stuff. And I, and I think the other thing is, is also if you do have kind of a crazy background, you can turn it into humor. Like one of the the jokes that I talk about on Zoom is like I I you know as soon as I start talking, I get into it a little bit, and I was like, but let me pause here because I'm sure many of you are playing my favorite Zoom game, which is what's in that person's background. Uh-huh. So this is you know I'll say this is what I've got back here, just so that people aren't distracted by it. And I think you can sometimes do that same thing. It's like you know you could say I know it uh, looks like to many of you that I am in the storage closet of a Seven uh, Eleven. Well, close, but this is like you know my home, and these are some like you almost call it. It's it's like a comedian calling the moment or calling the room in a comedy club of just addressing what everyone is able to see. They laugh about it, and then they completely move past it. Um, so I just, I just asked some comic friends for, if they had any questions for you, cause I realized that this is an opportunity. Um, where do you get your comedians from? Uh, for the, the shows we do a couple of different places. One, I'm on a couple of different shows. So just seeing a comedian that I like, we, um, so humor that works, we run an open mic every Saturday. Oh, really? uh, and so we, yeah. And so it's a virtual open mic from, uh, I think three to four, um, 
But uh, we and so we we sometimes pick people from there because the the challenge is even even our virtual stand up shows like we have a, a virtual storytelling show tomorrow night. Even those we want to be corporate appropriate, like we say PG to PG thirteen. And um, the reason why we do that is a, is a couple of reasons. One, there's so many open mics out there that if people want to work on their kind of like, I don't want any restrictions. I don't want to be censored. Completely understand. I understand that that's, you know, antithetical to, um, uh, to some people, but, uh, you know, in terms of comedy, but uh, we want to provide a space where people can come to and work on kind of some of that cleaner material. Cause I know plenty of comedians who, are like, I've got, you know, 90 minutes of great material. And I'm like, great. Uh, could you do a 15 minute corporate clean set? And they're like, actually, I don't think I could. Um, so, and so we use also the open mic as a way to say, okay, can this person be clean? Cause when, again, when you have a, an, an additional client component to it, like it's not good enough for you to just be really funny and to have crushed it again. If the HR person was like, well, they said, you know, they started talking about sex or drugs or things like that. Uh, or they drop the F-bomb, it's like, okay, that's a client that we then lose for forever. So we want to kind of see people in action and know that they can be funny, but also be clean and, and talk about, you know, subjects that a corporate group would, would look at. And so we kind of get that from the open mic sometimes as well. So so no F-bomb, no sex, no drugs, right? Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm just sort of wondering, like, like is there, a, is there sort of a list or is it? Because I have my sense of what I think clean is. <laughs> Um, but you're being you're very clearly saying corporate clean, and I want yeah, well, for example like a drug like a drug reference might technically yeah. be clean, but uh, but it's not Correct. corporate clean. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's not like you can think about it as yeah, and and so for our virtual shows that we're just putting out to the public, we say clean in general, and so the way that we frame it is. You know, my mom watches a lot of the shows, so like, and my mom's not a prude, but she's also not like. Uh, she she doesn't necessarily love like Bill Burr or Dave Chappelle in terms of the language that they use. And so like, that's kind of the thing that we give. And then for corporate, we say, yeah, like imagine, imagine you're performing to a group of just what you think of stereotypical for HR. Cause HR isn't typically as bad as we stereotypically think as they are. I was going to say, you, might keep, be one you keep hitting HR though. You keep tagging HR as being, as being keep, the ones to worry yeah. about. Cause that's, that's the stereotype. Well, one is the stereotype, and two, they do tend because they they think about it's one of those interesting things because like you know when people talk about PC culture and stuff, like people are getting offended on the behalf of other people more commonly, which I don't necessarily know if I agree with, but HR tends to do that of like they have to because they're the ones that deal with lawsuits, are the ones where they deal with employee complaints. They're typically the most on edge to say, is this going to be okay? Or will someone be coming to me a little bit later to say they were offended by this blank joke? And that isn't to say that, you know, that no one, you know, humor isn't ever going to cause offense. It's just a different type of material to do in a corporate environment than it is to do on a comedy club stage. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, so the, when is the open mic? Is that something anyone can sign up for? Yeah, so it's something anyone can sign up for if they go to humorthatworks.com slash calendar. Uh, it's every Saturday from uh, 3 to 4, so we keep it kind of short. Uh, we may expand to some additional mics as well. And it's kind of an, an open mic in the sense that it could be storytelling. We had a, a person who came in and did and played um, – um, I can't remember. I think it was a – 
it might have been a Cardi B song. I can't remember, but it played a, a pop song, but on their saxophone instead. So it's like a little bit open. We wanted to create that's pretty it open. positive. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say, that's yeah, very, that very open. open. You um, wouldn't see that, you wouldn't yeah, see that at a comedy club open, Mike. No, no. And because and to be perfectly honest, we were a little bit surprised by it because it was mostly comedians or sometimes storytellers or research-based stuff. Um, and then he was like, is it? Does it have to be comedy? And we're like, nope. And he bust. He pulled this like saxophone out of nowhere. It was almost magic. And then he busted into this song, and it was and it was great. And that's the type of thing that we might do for a virtual comedy, a, a virtual show for a corporate group right now, because you can have that diversity, that variety. And and if we're putting together a corporate kind of virtual show, the intent is really just to give people a chance to laugh, to help build some community within that organization, to help them take a break because they're constantly on Zoom meetings anyway. So can we make one that's just a lot of fun for them? I mean, so that's a question. They're constantly on Zoom meetings. And then you say, hey, for entertainment, let's get on a Zoom meeting. Is there is there any resistance to that? Uh, I mean, it, we haven't necessarily you know, seen it because they know that it's going to be something a little bit different. But you're you're right. You bring up kind of at least the, there's a, a touch to your question that is interesting, and and for people to think about whether they are a virtual speaker or a virtual comedian, is you have to think about what is so unique or special about the situation that someone should join a virtual a live virtual show versus watching 846 on YouTube or watching you know a uh, hundred thousand uh, dollar produced special that's on Netflix. Uh, or on Amazon Prime or that kind of stuff. And and so it is important to think about as a producer of a show or even as a comedian, what are the things that you're doing that are a little bit different than you just kind of sending a video to a client and say, hey, watch this, it's funny. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's much easier to just, you know, flip on flip on Chappelle's special, um, you know, and it's, and it's Dave Chappelle. How are you going to, you know, you're not going to compete mm-hmm. with that. But I feel like, it's different. I mean, per, for me personally, I mean, I, I produce some shows and I mean, I feel like it's different um, because you, you, you yeah, it's the same way, live, you know, live performance is different. This is what we have mm-hmm. in lieu of live performance. So you're going to get something. I logged on to an F comedy show, uh, one of Felicia Madison's last night, and mm-hmm. it's called Debatable AF. It was Judy Gold, Jay Jordan, uh, someone Frankie French is the host. And it was, it's just, you know, it's sort of a comedian roundtable kind of thing. And it was different. It was something that I wasn't going to get mm-hmm. by looking at Netflix. And so that allowed me to kind of get, get a, diff- a slightly different form of entertainment. Like I can always get, I can always get Netflix. Netflix is always going to be there. This is only going to be there during that chunk of time. It's live. So therefore, it's mm-hmm. a little more special. I don't, know if, I don't know if you would agree with that, but that's kind of where my brain goes. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. I think the live component is what makes it a little bit different. I think the subject matter, like, because, you know, in, inevitably in a show, in a virtual stand-up show, you're going to talk a little bit about some of the, like, hey, this is virtual, hey, look at my background, or how you all doing, or, um, you know, you, the, the content is going to be a little bit different, because right now there are no produced stand-up specials post-COVID, aside from Dave Chappelle's, and he, even that, he's talking about the protest, not COVID. And so like, I think there's value in, in providing catharsis on, uh, you know, relieving stress about it. You know, I have a, a simple joke that I'll start with a lot of my sets of like, you know, how are, how are people doing I take advantage of the chat. You can do interaction in different ways in virtual. So, you know, I'll say something as simple as like, all right, so in the, the chat, go ahead and share on a scale of one to five, how are you doing kind of with this working from home thing? Right. A one is like it's terrible. You're you're not you're productive at all. Five is that you're like, I may never go back to the office again. 
right? And then I'll kind of comment, on, oh, so we're seeing some twos and threes. I think some people are realizing that, you know, that they're not as good at working from home as they were homing from work. Mm. Right? Like they, they were way like better that. at, you know, Facebook or going to the bathroom on company time than they are getting any type of remote productivity done. Like people are finding that it's, it's called remote work because sometimes it's hard to find. Right. And Ah, so having one, that being a little bit of custom material for the environment that people can kind of resonate with. And then two simple crowd work that, you know, traditionally in a comedy club, uh, the crowd work is with one person, maybe two people, but you kind of slowly go with things like the chat. You can have the entire audience engaged at one time. And then if someone did put something interesting in the chat, if you wanted to be like, all right, so where are people zooming in from? Just get a balance, uh, like balance of that. And then if I was doing a show and someone like said Cincinnati, Ohio, I'd like spotlight that person be like, ah, Cincinnati, I grew up in Cincinnati, where are you at in Cincinnati? And then do kind of crowd work that way. So it's a way to, to engage the entire audience at once. And so I think that type of thing helps to create a more live experience. And then the, the big thing that we do for our virtual shows is um, we identify some people either beforehand or in the moment who will unmute their mic so mm, that we hear so laughter. Right, so, so that you're important. not performing to absolute silence. I tried to explain that to a friend of mine. He was saying because there, there, we had a Zoom bomber, not on, it was not on one of my shows, on another show, and um, they were saying some really terrible things. And he's like, "Well, just mute everybody." And I said, "You can't do that." Mm-hmm. I said, "It's not like a regular presentation or something. Like you got to be able to hear some laughter because if you don't, I mean, you can do it. I've done Facebook Live shows, but they're weird." You know, it's just not yeah. the same. You, you, and you don't need a ton. You don't need you don't need 50 people laughing. Mm-hmm. I'm fine with just a couple yeah. of people, just a little bit of feedback, so you have some sense of whether you know the joke is working. And you know, it's it's does it's performance. Uh, Joe Devito has a line. He's like, stand-up comedy is a, a live performance designed to elicit laughter. You know, and mm-hmm. that and without so without the laughter, what are we doing? You know, so yeah. you'll you feel well, like and- your your brain starts to say you're bombing, you're bombing, you're bombing. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, it, it, stand-up is it's a conversation, um, and totally. the audience's role in the conversation is to laugh. And so if you don't have that laughter, then it becomes just a monologue, and I think that's a little bit different. And, and so I think, yeah, you're exactly right. It only takes like six to maybe ten people unmuted to mic, and so that's part of the, the role of the producer, though, is, and this is you – know, I, I help Ray produce his show – and part of my role in that, that setting is just to basically find some people to unmute. We see if their background is relatively quiet, if they provide some good laughter, if they start talking because a delivery person comes or the dog starts barking or whatever. The hope is that they would mute themselves, but if they don't, then one of us is ready to mute it right away. Uh, we can unmute other people. Yeah, if a Zoom bomber happened to come in, then it's like, okay, well, let's kick that person out. We know, we know how to do that without having to mute everyone. Uh, so there, there is a producer role of someone kind of always staying vigilant and, and kind of tracking those things. And if you're in Zoom, there's a couple of things that make it a little bit easier to do that. So knowing that people who are making noise, they go to the top of the participant list. Right. Knowing that you can make other people co-host so it's not just you by yourself doing it and seeing the microphone. The microphone typically has an icon when they are kind of like actually chatting. And, and those things kind of help to to mitigate the background noise while still allowing laughter. And then I I think the other thing is um, one as a performer, what we encourage people when they're on those shows is to just assume that you are crushing it, right? Like assume that you are doing super well, Uh leave the pauses where you know there's going to be fun, like humor and stuff, 
Because even if there is no audio, you still want to provide people time to laugh. Because some comedians get so nervous without hearing that laughter. Even if it's a funny joke, they, don't, they step on their own laughter because they're not hearing it, even if it was silent. So you still want to give that, that patience. And it took me time that this came from practice and reps as well. But I've gotten feedback from other comedians of like, oh, you've, you've started to figure out that timing. Because it's, it's a matter of waiting a little bit longer for that joke to travel through you know, the interwebs and everything. And to hear the audio laughter back. And as you start to get more comfortable with that and doing it, it feels much more like a show than it is you just talking to, to silence. So I think, right. you know, getting more comfortable and assuming you're crushing it can help. Let me ask you something else about the whole corporate thing. Like, are there topics that are off limits? Like, I have some stuff about my gay son. Uh, and someone once suggested to me, it was for a different audition, it wasn't a corporate thing, where they were like, well, I don't think this person really wants to hear about that. They're kind of conservative. Um, so you probably shouldn't do that material. But it's not, you know, it's not off color. You know, but at the same time, I know some people might not want to hear about that. So I just like with something like that fall into fall into a gray area or is it OK? I mean, it, it could. It, it certainly depends on the organization, like, you know, certainly. But also it depends on and there's a balance as a comedian that you have to share of like, is it you know what? How much do I want to censor myself in my own material? And, you know, you might say that if an organization gets offended about me talking about authentically, you know, like my my gay son and they're upset about that, then it's maybe a group that I don't want to speak for. But mm, you also know point. if you, you know, and 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 so you might say, you know, uh, you might in the in the we we strongly encourage I just strongly encourage from a general perspective is if you are doing a corporate event, whether it's speaking or entertainment do a questionnaire, a short questionnaire with the client. Ideally, I think it's easier if you just do it over the phone, like, hey, super excited about the event. I uh, want to chat with you a little bit further. So first of all, a couple of things of like, is there anything that is absolutely off limits aside from what we would know? Like, so of course we don't, you know, we're not going to curse. We're not going to talk about X, Y, or Z, um, but anything else that is off t uh, subject. And so sometimes they say, hey, stay away from politics because we've got some people that are both sides of the aisle and they might get offended if you have specific jokes about that. Uh, some people, and I'll also ask for jokes that are like, are there jokes that people always make about the industry that you're like tired of hearing? Right. Like, you know, the, uh, you know, if you're talking to a group of cashiers, which I don't think I've ever talked to a group of cashiers, but they, <laughs> at least, at least from what I understand, people hate the joke of, you know, if you try to scan something and it doesn't work, then, you know, so many people every single day make the joke to them like, Oh, if it doesn't scan, it must be free. Right. So it's like I try to get what are those things that are so stereotypically said about their industry or their group so that I can avoid that or make fun of the stereotype of it happening. Uh, and then I'll also ask the question of like, are there any subjects that um, you think that we should definitely hit on or any inside jokes that we can connect with so that it feels customized to the group? And then in that, you might have the conversation of like, hey, so I have a couple of jokes about blank. Is that OK if you're unsure in that setting? Um, you could potentially ask if you really wanted to be kind of safe about it. But it also depends on the context of the jokes, right? You could say I have jokes about my uh, gay son, and they could just be simply about that process of what it was like for um, them coming out or whatever. And that could be from a corporate speaking event, could turn into what you call a signature story. It could be a great, compelling story that then leads to a lesson that you share, and that's now corporate speaking as opposed to just corporate entertainment. 
Or, you know, you could go the flip side of it and you could be, you know, dropping the F word about your gay son over and over again, of which case that wouldn't be appropriate. Right. So it's, that's it's, clear, it's that's hard clear. to say just high level topic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. But that's that's a, but that's actually good to hear that, you know, that uh, the idea that you could actually have that conversation beforehand. Um, it sounds like not everybody does that based on the way you phrase that. Yeah, and, and they don't, and, and it's just – it's one of the things, and this is a big difference that – you know I think one of the advantages that I was just fortunate to have coming from uh, the, the corporate side was I worked at you know, P&G. I worked at a big company, and so I knew what it was like and the types of conversations people have and just the business approach to it, right? I think sometimes stand-up comedians are like, but it's, it's the art. All I have to do is just be funny. And at least when you're dealing with corporate or some of these higher price kind of like organizations, there's more to it. It's, it's more about serving the client. It's more about giving them something of, of value that they can point to and say, this is why we spent X number of dollars on it. And one of those is customization, right? Because again, why do they actually hire you as opposed to just pay for, you know, everyone to go and watch Netflix? It's, it's customized to the group. It's having small jokes about stuff. So for example, you know, have been doing some um, uh, some work producing with uh, Sachin Sean, who helps to produce the surprise show in New York City. But uh, we've been doing some corporate IT type shows as well, just because of, of our background. And so I do material when we do like a, a cybersecurity firm, I have material written about, you know, cybersecurity passwords and things like that. That's partially because I'm a nerd and I love IT, but also like, oh, I can customize or create some humor around that which now feels very tailored to their organization. And so now that gives them a perception of higher value than they would have received of just a comedian coming in and doing material that's in no way related to what they do. That sounds like so much fun. The idea that you could like do, you know, do a couple minutes on passwords or something like that. That's because you couldn't, because you probably couldn't do that in a comedy club, you know, like that's, that's just, that's going to be a lot harder because you, because you don't know who's in the audience. I mean, it's, it's hard to do sports jokes in a comedy club for, you know, for various reasons, you know? Um, But the idea that you could be able to come in and sort of, you know, you know, your audience is going to get it. You, you, you can you can mm-hmm. look at a topic and say, okay, everyone here has had an experience that is going to be similar to this. That seems like a tremendous advantage. Well, and it's a lot of it's a lot of fun too, like you said, because it gives you because you can still use. I mean, it's it's still the same framework that you would use for any comedy show of like still start with material that you know works really well, still end with stuff that you know is really strong, and in the middle you can say like, okay, I'm going to challenge myself to create a little bit of custom humor for this, and. Uh, you know, cause, and you're exactly right. It is stuff that's, that's tougher in a, a, a comedy club. And this is perhaps why I haven't had as much. Well, I don't know. Some people will just maybe say that I'm not funny, but I, I feel like I don't have <laughs> as much success in the comedy club world because when I go into a comedy club, I'm still doing material that is I'm corporate clean all the time just because it's part of my brand and I've built a business around that. And I decided pretty early on that I always wanted my material to be rated right mom. Uh, you know, I wanted my mom to be able to watch and and, sure. and feel proud about what I was saying on stage. And and so in some senses, maybe I'm not quite as funny as other people, but it's always kind of corporate claim. The advantage to that is that if I know a joke works in a regular comedy club at a Friday night at 10 p.m. after people have had two drinks and it's still clean, then I know that it's going to crush in a corporate environment. And so I use that as a way to test. And, and you're exactly right. It's a little bit hard. I have a great, what I think is a two-factor, uh, I think it's a great two-factor authentication joke 
uh, that's related to Zoom, but it only like it's only the cybersecurity groups that tend to like really get it because they know immediately what I mean when I say two-factor authentication, as opposed to other people like what is that? That's the what? Uh, so yeah, that would be exactly right. Being, a little bit harder. I could see that being difficult in in a comedy club. I just you know like I, and I found being clean in a comedy club is hard. Like I I actually would love to develop because I'll I'll sometimes do you know a Sunday Sunday night at eleven o'clock at Greenwich, and that's when you really want mm-hmm. some dick jokes. Because that's what yep. you know, you're going to be. You're going to be much more successful if you can be a little dirty. And that's just not what I do. It's it's sort of not the kind of thing mm-hmm. that I write. It's not the way my brain works. Um, so well, and even, with, even with the that, politics I'd... stuff going on now, I haven't I haven't really written that much. I'm sorry. What were you going to say? No, I was just going to say even that. Like it's been slow for me to to kind of learn. But you know, part of it is I you know I I do. Uh, I do this bit on math pickup lines, and I realized that joke was what helped me realize that sometimes it doesn't have to be. There's going to be a portion of the audience that gets it because they remember you know, algebra from school. But if I perform it the right way, the rest of the audience can at least laugh at me attempting math pickup lines. And so the performance almost, it's like it's, it's developing my performance skill of it. And then the other thing is is having a sense of fun with the audience of – you know, it's crazy to me that I'll go and do a show and, you know, people will be talking about um, all manner of sex topics or drugs or whatever, the grossest things possible. And then I'll get up and have a pun somewhere in my presentation and people will groan uh, or in my, my uh, set and, and people will groan. And so now I have fun with the audience. I'll be like, wait, really? You, you had no problem laughing at, you know, someone talking about explosive diarrhea in this situation going into graphic detail. But I use one little wordplay and you're already groaning like and it. So it becomes now almost this fun kind of back and forth with the audience and all of like, right. OK, you're going to groan at that. Then you're going to hate this one because I've got another one for you and kind of playing <laughs> the room in that way. Because I got uh, 20 minutes, and, 20 minutes yeah. of math puns, buddy. Strap in. Math puns coming up. Strap in. <laughs> Get out your calculator. Exactly. I had a pro comic uh, who was giving feedback at an open mic tell me that I shouldn't use um, advanced polynomials because he said nobody knows what that is. <laughs> and I was and I was like, OK, because I, I was just using it because that was it was I was doing a, a thing about, you know, not mm-hmm. being able to help my son with his homework, um, you know, when during yeah. quarantine. And that happened to be what he was doing. And I actually thought that was kind of funny. And mm-hmm. he was like, nobody knows what that is. You're just going to turn the audience off. And I thought that was really interesting. So that made me think of that when you when you said uh, you know you're talking you're talking about doing math jokes. Yeah. And, like I think that's good. Well, I agree yeah. with you. If you can make if you can make a comedy club audience laugh um, at ten o'clock at night, you know, at Dangerfields or wherever, then yeah, that joke is that joke is going to kill when you get mm-hmm. back to you know, yeah. your people, so to speak. Yeah, and I think from a purely like you know, so the the engineer, and this is why I think you know, so the the business of humor that works part of you know our, our goal is twofold. We want to one elevate the status of humor. We want people to not think of it as this nice to have or this thing that you just do in a comedy club or whatever. So it's it's you know elevating the status of humor to the point that you know people are like this is a valuable skill that I should learn. And then the second thing is that we want to train people on how to use it, not necessarily train, you know, people to become stand-up comedians, although we have like a comedy writing workshop that like does help for some people wanting to be comedians, but more of like just how does it work? And so the engineer in me likes to take things apart and, and put them back together again. 
And and that's what we do a little bit with comedy. I think like word choice is very important, you know, and that's that's what I love about comedy is it's the testing of it. So I would be curious to say, okay, what is the funniest kind of option to to pick? It does advanced polynomials. Is that too many loops in the person's head to try to remember what that was? Is that funnier or less funny than trigonometry or calculus because maybe maybe people have this, you know, negative connotation with calculus already that it's heightened because you say calculus, or is it funny if you go the opposite direction and you're like, yeah, it was trying to help. It was very difficult. Uh, it was, uh, what was that? It was a arithmetic. It was that, it was that darn division. Like, do you go the, the simplified route? And that's what I love is the testing of it to see, okay, what does the audience react to? Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I think that's one of the great things about comedy. Uh, Drew, I don't want to stop, but we have to stop. We're almost out of time. <laughs> so uh, this has been fantastic. You've been a great guest. So tell everyone where they can find you on the social medias and on the Internet. Sure. If, if people want to learn more or find out more about kind of the open mics and things that we're doing, uh, they can go to humorthatworks.com. Uh, we've got a bunch of free resources out there and uh, information about the open mics, et cetera. Uh, if they want to reach out to me directly or just follow me, if they're like, hey, math pickup lines, I want to hear more of those. <laughs> um, you can find me on uh, all social media at Drew Tarvin, so D-R-E-W-T-A-R-V as in Victor, I-N. Uh, and that's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, I, I recently discovered, I don't know if you have this, uh, but I still have a MySpace page. You still have a MySpace page? I do. I haven't been there in years, but I do still have a MySpace page. Yeah. So if, if you want to connect with both of both Brett and I on MySpace, we're, we're awesome. there. Um, Might be a little slow and slow uh, responding. Um, all right, Drew, you've been awesome. Thank you so much. Everyone, please stay safe. We'll be back on Friday.